This is episode 313. Most of us either won't go to therapy at all or spend years and years talking about our problems and our pain until eventually we just learn to live with it. But what if you could spend less time in pain and actually let go of those hurts, let go of those people and heal the trauma of your past? In this part two episode, we talk about how to understand the inner workings of your body on an emotional pain level, how to let go without talk therapy and without needing to tell the story over and over and over again, something I've certainly been guilty of myself. We also end up chatting about why intimate relationships trigger you more than anything else, especially in the space of trust and sexuality, and how the illusion of choice given to us by social media and dating apps means that it's easy to avoid doing the hard work with your partner on your triggers and personal problems altogether. And we wrap this up with some useful tools about how to get out of the information and data collection phase and into doing the actual emotional and trauma healing. So let's dive in. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. Hey, what's up, my healthy friends? I'm glad that you are back for part two of the Matthew Zoltan podcast. If you're here for the first time, I'd suggest going back to episode 311 so that you can get the first part of this conversation. It makes a lot of sense to do that because at this point, we're actually quite deep into some really profound ideas. Oh, and we're still at it. In 2023, it's my mission to coach 500 people to stop the binge eating and savage self-talk cycle so they can lose weight whilst feeling in control and without restriction along the way. Just a little recap. So today's guest, Matthew Zoltan, is an expert in his field and his skill set varies from the body-mind connection, reaction, how to truly feel, understanding pain and illness as a process, not a problem, healing trauma through to dissociation, the nature and origin of thought, and suppressed memory in the body. He's been a monk, worked directly with 30,000 people healing their physical and emotional trauma, and his ideas and concepts are truly very different to modern religion, spirituality, and go against conventional meditation ideas. I really think that part one on episode 311 and this one here are going to blow your mind. You might just need to listen a few times to process everything and begin changing how you think about it all because it's deep. You can also get Matthew's app called Undo, which allows you to do this work every single day on both the Android Play Store and Apple App Store and the links for that are below. Okay, let's get back into the thick of it. Now, when you're triggered, what's being triggered? I know most people know this, what's being triggered is whatever you have you have been unaware of in yourself. Now, there's nothing wrong with being unaware of that. It's no point until you actually are triggered by a situation in which you have to then uh, express yourself based on that quality, whether it's, you know, not the distrust and the trust issue, yeah? Mm-hmm. So when you feel distrust in a relationship, the... At first, this isn't clear, but after a person has done, even after they've done this undo app and worked a little bit in this way, they start to see there's a difference between um, what what the feelings that are about my life now and feelings that are actually an emerging of my life in the past. We get very tangled up in those and we can't tell the difference. And it's very important to tell the, to, to get better at understanding the difference. It's not an intellectual understanding. 
well, it is. It's partly intellectual, but it's more experiential it comes to you. Mm-hmm. So when you have distrust and you go, well, this, you look at the facts of the person in your life and there's no real fact for you to base your distrust on. This is a very, then that fact is the thing you can trust. <laughs> yeah, there's the <laughs> fact. Yeah, there's yeah. no real fact for me to base my distrust on. Um, therefore, my distrust is most probably nothing to do with this person and nothing to do with my life now, most probably uh, a continuation of the experiences that I've not yet resolved from my past experiences with other people. So being in a relationship with someone you can trust is very helpful to this. It will cause paranoia, bring up paranoia and imaginary distrust of this other person. But as long as that person continues to operate in a way of being trustworthy and that person and you allow, you you embrace the facts of what you see even though your paranoia tries to twist that and imagine it's not really happening the way it is, then because it's got to be something wrong with it, then over time your distrust is, is brought out of you the whole time you're in this relationship because you're being challenged. It's being challenged the whole time, but it comes up as a feeling of fear and paranoia and then it becomes imaginary. You've got to be very, very careful of allowing it to become the thought process of imaginary assumptions, yeah? And then, mm-hmm. so what you do is you bring it back to the feeling of how you feel when you're feeling the distrust. You must feel the distrust and that's how you start to process the old. That's how you process the, the leftover of a past experience. You have to feel the distrust. But the benefit you have is you're with a new person is you also have the facts of somebody acting trustworthy in a trustworthy way and that gives you a type of anchor in reality, which is in the world now, in the world of your life now. You see that this feeling doesn't really relate to the world. So I see, I see it well, relates to our big, bigger world, of course, being not trusting people, but in our personal world with one other person. And so this helps us to not only get in touch with our distrust, but start to see if we approach it properly, which is to feel the distrust and remind ourselves that this is most probably something that I had, I used to be like before. If it is something you used to be like before, then it's a bit unfair to immediately attach that to the next person. But we do, mm-hmm. yeah, and that's what screws the relationships up. So we come into the relationships, which people also don't realise, and that is, we think we want to come into the relationship to get what we want because we've been indoctrinated with the Romeo and Juliet syndrome. And we've been indoctrinated with the happy, happy, joy, joy, heavenly world that we think exists. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and commonly it, referred to as the Disney effect. <laughs> oh, thank you. The Disney, yeah, that's a much better. The Disney effect, and there is no such thing because there doesn't need to be such a thing. That is not reality. We only want that reality, by the way, when we don't have we don't have the maturity and the understanding to deal with the real reality. When we don't know how to deal with attachment, we want detachment. When we don't know how to deal with pain, we want pleasure. Yeah. But when, and when we don't understand, more importantly, the significance of pain to our own, our own well-being, we want pleasure. But when we understand the significance of the pain of feeling distrust in a relationship, we want that relationship to keep putting me in touch with that because you are helping me uncover pain in myself that I am affected by, that I don't 
that controls me, that rules me, and I've had this for so many years. How am I going to get over this? You're going to get over this in the in the trenches of life, in the realities of life, if you have the right approach. Firstly, that there is nothing wrong with you feeling distrust. It just may not be related to now. It's related. You know it's been there before, so there's a good chance you can accept that, okay, this is something from my past and this is a new person in my life. Now, how can I bring those two together? Best thing is you get into a relationship not to have the Romeo and Juliet Disney syndrome. You are going into a relationship with a person, particularly sexual relationships because they encompass everything, yeah, which you don't have with other people, the sex side of it. And this brings an intimacy. This brings a depth. This causes you have to dig deeper inside of yourself to be in touch with that person than you ever have before. And you'll find things inside of yourself reaching into those depths because they're trying, you know, as the relationship deepens, there's more demands put on you to be more, more of yourself than you've ever had to be before. You can't just be that superficial, silly person. You really have to start, you're investing in a relationship, which means you have to become more authentic, more authentically you, both the shit and the honey, both the stuff you love and the stuff you hate, that starts to come into the picture, which before you could hide that in more superficial relationships. So everybody thinks we're going to get into a, super, into a sexual relationship and you're going to be just the way I want you to be. Well, you're being just the way you, I, I need you to be. But you may not be the way I want you to be because the way I want you to be is make me feel good. The way I need you to be is to put me in touch with both feeling good but also feeling the shit that I haven't recovered from yet. And then we come into the relationship and the relationship is now a way of self-developing, a way of healing ourselves um, from that which we haven't had to go to the depths of before. And then we start to realise these reactions we have to our partner that say, oh, I hate this person, I don't like your behaviour, rather than projecting it onto that person, bringing it back to, well, I'm actually reacting to this person and this reaction is coming out of me and this reaction is exposing something in me that I don't like to feel of. If I don't like mm-hmm. the feel of, it means I don't like this part of me. Now, as we start to come to terms with the feeling of this part of me, then we start find ourselves more comfortable with that same feeling uh, or part in the other person. So the more we become at ease with ourselves in pain or pleasure, and that's what this, this natural meditation actually does, the yeah. more we are prepared and yeah. able to live at ease with the greater complexities of other people and the world we live in without being um, um, frightened of that and disturbed by that. If we're not frightened of it in ourselves, we won't be frightened of it in the world. Yeah, I, th- I think everything you've just shared is fantastic. And, and to connect it to a, a previous uh, part of our conversation, I think as well in regards to the modern dating landscape, marriage landscape, um, it's that same idea of detachment because online dating and options everywhere on Instagram and TikTok and all these people that you can connect with and you know perceive the grass to be greener, I think there's a real lack of 
resilience in relationships now because it's so easy to get away from the pain. It's so yeah. easy to be triggered and run. Um, and and I, yeah. I would say that across the board um, because once once upon a time you didn't have the option of going yeah. to pick up your kid from school and meeting another parent. So as to say, it's a, it's a man picking up the kids, meets um, you know the kid's friend's mum, and that was the only interaction you had with that woman. Now you can go home and add her on Facebook and see if she's going to be at soccer on the weekend. And you 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 grow these um, perceived opportunities of the grass is greener everywhere. And so it's back to that detachment because we're, we're, we've got the option to detach from the suffering of our current relationship and just be like, oh, well, it's going to be way nicer over there. So yeah. again, another opportunity to to just move, move out, move away. But also possibly the Disney effect, um, you know, has that idea that the relationship you got into in the beginning was also going to be beautiful and magical all of the time, you know? Yeah. And so it's just this self-repeating cycle that that's, that's we're, we're just chasing we're chasing a rainbow or the unicorn that's not really there it's not and it's not supposed to be there and it shouldn't be there it's not healthy it's it's born of thousands of years of religion telling us that there's a heaven and a an enlightened state to be in uh, and then it's born of society telling us in different ways that you know if you've got a lot of money or you've got this or you've got a, you look beautiful and so on then you're going to be a happy person. It's still all about happy, happy, joy, joy, pleasure. Yeah, it's mm. half of our life is being ignored. Half of our life, which is gives us depth and substance as a human being, and maintains our humanity and our sensitivity and our empathy for other human beings. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, if we don't have pain, sense. yeah, if we don't feel pain, we will lose empathy. If we if if we don't if we avoid pain, we will avoid anybody else in pain uh, because we don't like it. But just yeah. back to what you said, the very interesting thing you said was, you know, we we see this person on Facebook and we and we create a, a fantasy. Yeah, we, yeah. we create a fantasy of the other person. Now, what is this? Just like religion and, and meditation techniques and traditional meditations, they create fantasies of another world that doesn't exist other than they're in their own thought processes. Yeah. And you know how powerful that is. You can create a fantasy about someone. Next thing you know, you can have all sorts of experiences and feelings that are connected to that fantasy. You can ultimately become obsessed and feel like you're in love with that person. You can have, you know, horny dreams about that person. You can have all sorts of physical and emotional uh, fantasies in the same way when using meditation techniques or following uh, theories of spirituality. If you, whatever you think about over and over again, eventually becomes a, a conjured and a conjuring of experiences. If you think that you are a spirit and a bodiless being, eventually if you use the right meditation techniques, you will experience bodiless states all over the place in all, in all many different ways, but none of it's real. It, it feels real. The feeling is real. The effect is real. But the fantasy that got you there is a total delusion. Yeah. Mm. And so what is this? This is all to me when we, you, you know, we've got struggles in our relationship at home. Um, I'm relating religion and relationships together here, yeah, and yeah. spirituality because I'm I'm seeing I'm also looking at the history of how the hell do we end up thinking like this, yeah? Because we have these thousands of years of all different types of indoctrination um, that have caused us to believe in something more and better than what we already are and have, and that is the 
That is the fundamental problem that we're facing. And so what do we do with these things? What are you doing when you're on Facebook and you've got a husband or a wife or a friend or you know, partner at home and you're looking at other, other people and imagining them to be your partner or whatever? You are escaping reality, just like the meditator is escaping reality when he conjures up different experiences. You are escaping the real life that you have. Now, why are you trying to escape the real life that you have? brings us back to the fundamental problem is that through medicine, through um, religion, through medicine we've learned to dislike certain, uh, certain physical states and through religion we've learned to dislike certain emotional states, let's say, just as a very broad statement. Yeah? So yeah. we have been taught to be against pain and distress Whereas, and, and we, we completely misunderstood the significance of these in our life, which I keep coming back to, because it's a fundamental problem. So as soon as we feel pain or distress in relationship with the other person, we very easily overlook our part in that. We very easily overlook our need for growth and development and self-inquiry in that. Yeah, we don't take on our part our responsibility, what we are really uh, feeling inside of ourselves as a reaction and a judgment of that person, yeah, and we we find it okay to project our problems onto them, say it's all their fault, so I'll get away from them, and then we project our happiness, our potential happiness, onto some other person saying they're the ones who are going to make me happy, and we live in that dream. And we don't really want to have a real life with that person because we know Deep down, we're going to find out that it's not real, that doesn't matter what person you hook up with, you're going to be back in touch with the same problems because the problem is not them. The problem yeah. is in you, yeah? And and the bigger problem is, is that you see yourself as a problem that you want to get rid of that, or you want to escape from rather than a problem that as a body as an organic creature, as nature itself, as a part of nature, you are fully equipped to process those types of problems, whether they be physical health or mental health. And it all comes back to learning how to feel your pain and not judge it, not fight it, not criticise it, not suppress it, not escape it, not deny it, not pretend it's something else, but live with that part of your life in a way that is conducive to the healing process and the developmental of you, uh, uh, the development of you, of your relationship, and therefore as time goes on, your relationship grows deeper and stronger rather than uh, there's no need for a relationship really in most cases to, to divorce or to break up. It's, it's, we're looking at it the wrong way. We're looking at life the wrong way. Life is there to be lived. We are life. However, whatever comes out of us, we need to learn how to live with that, and that's exactly what I'm firstly helping people see. Pain is not your enemy. Pain is telling you all about yourself, even in different parts of your body. Every part of your body operates in a different way. Um, mm -hmm. and has a different role, uh, expresses a different thought-feeling process. Um, you know, my, my mouth is, let's say you talk, your throat is for communication, your throat, your voice box and your mouth is, if you have troubles in that area, then the chances are you're having some sort of 
uh, trouble expressing in, uh, yourself honestly and truthfully because you're too frightened to or something, and so you're, yeah, you're wanting to. It's just a really basic example. So you can get tensions built up in this area because of the conflict we have with yourself lying or the distress you have with not being heard by other people and understood by other people. So you get problems here. And so if you come back to that distress, you're getting in touch with the distress that that very real situation of not being heard is causing you and you're able to resolve that for and within yourself, that distress, mm-hmm. yeah, and this takes you deeper into understanding your need to be understood, your need to be heard because your real need to be heard and understood is not by other people, it's by you. So the yeah. more you go back into you, the more you're hearing you, the more you're understanding you, the more you're relieving the problems of your throat of not being heard and understood. It's just one body-mind connection that I wanted to bring into it as a simple example where if we have sexual problems, you know, we'll have those feelings in our genitals. If we have um, difficulty with seeing, then we'll have problems in our eyes. A difficulty with seeing the world as it is, we're not facing up to things and we may end up having problems with our eyes. And If we have uh, grief, everyone knows this one. You know, ultimately, when you feel deeply sad, deeply mm-hmm. grieving, you feel it in your lungs, in your chest. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so every part of your body, when you feel enraged and angry or frightened, we're both much the same, you feel that in your stomach predominantly, then it obviously radiates out. But each part of your body expresses from that part everything else that we can't end up expressing in life. And so the app helps people really start to, and I help people very much start to reconnect with their, what they're feeling and how they're thinking with the, the associated body parts and mm-hmm. takes them deeper into knowing themselves in there. Sounds very, yeah. that, it's, it's very deep. It's, it's a very, because it really reconnects you with, oh, my God, that is what my kidney does. What does my kidney do? My kidney, um, oh, it, 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 it filters the, the bad from the, you know, the rubbish from the, from the healthy stuff, yeah? Well, am I having any trouble filtering the bullshit from the reality of the world? If I am, I probably have some strain on my kidneys. Just a little Simple yeah. example without going into great depths with it. But yeah. the, the thing that happens is because we're disconnected from these feelings, I talked about the stomach before, yeah, we're disconnected from these feelings. When we get fear in our stomach um, or we have an underlying rage in our stomach, there's always this sensation going on and we mistake it for feeling hungry. Because it's an interesting thing. Hunger often feels a little bit like agitation or anxiety. Yeah. That's why they call it hangry. (laughs) Ah, that's why we call it hangry. Yeah. Or we're angry. Yeah. Anxiety, agitation, up until rage can live in there. And rage is always the opposite of fear, actually. You're you're enraged primarily because you're terrified. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so underneath rage is terror, fear. Underneath anger is, you know, fear. And so on. So it's the same thing. So when you have that feeling and you're not resolving that feeling, you you have that feeling of fear and you mistake it for hunger. What happens is you start to you want to eat. Now, when you eat, it it's a, it, it numbs out that 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 it fills up the tummy, so you stop feeling for a little while what's going on in there. But very soon it comes back again because you didn't actually get the right feeling. 
you didn't act on the right feeling. You didn't associate mm-hmm. what you were doing with the right feeling. So, so often we express our fear, we express ourselves in action, uh, thinking that, that, um, I want this. So eating becomes addictive when, becomes an addiction when every time you eat, you don't actually satisfy the feeling you have in there because you're not wanting to eat. You're needing to resolve your fear or your rage and nothing satisfies it. So no matter how much you eat, you're not satisfying that feeling. So you become more agitated and more um, driven to eat more. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. so we like uh, smoking drugs or, or uh, drinking alcohol. We, 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 we have pain in there and so we suppress that by, by smoking drugs, for example. But it, doesn't, it only suppresses the way we feel for a while, but it's not actually coming back to um, connecting us with the feelings we need to feel. And the very last one I was going to say, because it's a big one, when I came up to where I am now up in the northern hemisphere of the world, I came here because I knew it's a huge problem, uh, a well-known problem, sex addiction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so a sex, a sex addict, for example, will have sex addiction. And this is it's all over the world. What do we mean by sex addiction is when, um, when you feel such a pain inside of yourself uh, or such a sensation inside of yourself that you must have sex. Um, and if you can't have sex, you're left with tremendous distress. Um, this shows that this is not really about sex but about pain. About the sex, but it will be sexual pain. That's why it, you're connecting it to having sex to resolve that pain. But because it's about pain, and generally about pain that you actually have from childhood, or you know, some time in your life where you've been abused, then the sex addict can have as much sex as they like, but they're not actually understanding that that feeling is not an urge for sex at all. That feeling. And the more I have sex out of the feeling of pain uh, behind that's driving it, you know, the, the, the addiction gets stronger because it's not actually satisfying. This never satisfies me. I never get satisfaction because the action of having sex is not really the action you're supposed to be having. In fact, it's the opposite. <laughs> what you're supposed to be doing is feeling your pain. Not having more sex, you're, yeah. you're already hurting yourself with sex in that way. Yeah, because you're you're having sex for the wrong reasons, and so the sex addict becomes very addicted to the activity of sex, but never really uh, through continuing that activity, uh, any addiction, any addictive activity. This is how we end up with addictions. We're not actually ever able to satisfy a feeling. Because we're mistaking the feeling for us wanting a very different action than the one we're performing. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. 
Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it, skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Something that I found really useful um, when I was going through the app and it really clicked after we spent some time together was um, understanding what you mean by feeling. And, and I'm wondering if you can explain okay. the difference about uh, sort of between feeling and emotion yeah, and, and why this question. is so important. Because I think once because everybody's got their own interpretation of what that means. And I think in the world that most of us listening are brought up in, what we think when we hear feeling is it's our cognitive or intellectual interpretation of the feeling rather than the feeling itself. And and so once you, you had explained that to me in the way that you do, I found the app, the Undo app, which is fantastic. Everybody should download it. Highly recommend. That app became a lot more useful once I really understood that. So can you kind of take us through that? Yeah, it's very important. As a just as a initial point is that we describe our function as a human being, and when we do, we break it up into many things. But what I want to emphasise is we these these many things don't actually exist in isolation to one another. <laughs> we are a whole functioning being. And you will not separate one thing from another. You will not separate ultimately feeling uh, from thinking. It's just that you, you, you can overthink to such a point that you lose uh, uh, contact with what you're feeling in your body yeah? uh, because you're so preoccupied with thinking. Yeah. So uh, we talk about, we talk about uh, different parts of the human being which are only for the purpose of our our, uh, attempt to communicate these things. So I'm going to use the word emotion, feeling, the words emotion, feelings and thinking in a very specific way which may um, not be the same as other people have heard from other people. The reason I'm using it the way I am is because I'm doing my best to greatly simplify something that has been made ridiculously complex to the point that it is of no use to anybody and that people ask me what is the difference or like you said, you didn't know the difference. Why don't we know the difference? Because there's so many complicated concepts around it that just don't help us to understand ourselves as a functioning creature. Yeah, I need to be able to bring it back to myself and how I function and what I can feel happening within myself before I can really say I understand this rather than I can comprehend it intellectually. <laughs> yeah. So what happens is we have feelings. Let's use the feeling of grief. The feeling of grief is, a, is very clearly a physical sensation in the body. It's a feeling which is, a, which is physically felt. Yeah. It's physically felt and you could say 
that physical feeling is uh, also could be called emotion, yeah? yeah, but only from the point of view of thinking there's a difference between that, that the physical sensation is, is not all-encompassing. The physical sensation is all-encompassing. Within grief, there is sadness. Within grief, there is loss. Within grief and that feeling in our chest, within that, or many, many feelings can be um, dissected out of that. But it's all there. Yeah. So the feeling of grief, the feeling of sadness, the feeling of loss, the feeling of being alone. Yeah. So many, you could describe it, but there's no need. You, you, you don't need to do this. This, is, this tends to get us away from the simple physical sensation of grief yeah, that I'm feeling. Now, what happens uh, when I think about grief? Uh, I react to my grief. I don't want this grief is so painful that I react to it. I don't. I, I react to feeling this way, and then I also react to whatever has caused me to feel this way. So, what is reaction? Reaction is my thinking, my judgment about the feeling of grief, and my judgment about the facts of life. So, the facts of life is my friend has died. I don't like those facts, so I am in at odds with those facts. And I don't like how it makes me feel. And that's why I don't like those facts. So I do my best to get rid of the feeling so that I can get on with life again. Because it's, it's, the, it's the only reason I can't cope with what's happened is because of how it makes me feel. So I think I have to suppress and get over that feeling in order to get back on with life. But this is incorrect. Now, what is correct is that when I am thinking my story in, in reaction to the grief, which is the feeling, I am now prolonging a state unnaturally. I'm connecting my story, which is thinking, with my feeling, which is physically felt. And this connection of thought and the, and the story, um, the reaction against the fact of life that I don't like and the reaction against how it's made me feel, this, this thought in connection with feeling, equals emotion. So when you have purely a feeling, it's perfectly fine. It's a relief to feel. When you bring in the story, it causes the feeling to become a major problem for you. Yeah, you add. Well, and I think as well, it, it, it gives life beyond the feeling. Yeah, like very good. the story keeps the feeling alive in a way that it, it maybe shouldn't. Exactly. It, it prolongs that feeling beyond its natural duration. Yeah, so it prolongs that feeling by taking it into an emotionalization of that feeling and giving it a life that it doesn't actually want or have. The body doesn't want that. The organism doesn't want that. It's actually harmful to the body because that's mm. what you can't get out of that. Sometimes you, you know, a person will live the whole life grieving. They're not really in touch with their grief, the feeling of grief. They're now caught up in the emotionalization of that feeling, which is connecting the, the, the feeling with the thought process, with the story. And that goes on and on and on and on and on. And this is an, not only is it, does it make it unbearable because it exaggerates it, but it makes it impossible for it to end. And that is what you could call suffering. Yeah. That's right. when you yeah, suffer. That makes sense. Yeah. So emotion 
uh, prolonged suffering. Emotion prolongs suffering, whereas feeling brings it to an end. There is a type of suffering in grief, but not the one that we are overwhelmed by. Yeah. So when we emotionalize any feeling, any feeling, anger, whatever it happens to be, any feeling that we have in our body, when we emotionalize it, we exaggerate it because we emotionalize it by thinking about it. The thought plus the feeling gives birth to emotion. <laughs> and emotion yeah. is a very different thing, a very different animal to feeling because it is not the real feeling anymore. It's a it's an exaggeration of the feeling. It's a perversion of the feeling, perverted by your story about having that feeling inside of you. So it really gives it a whole life of its own. And this is fantasy. And it's it, it hurts, it's very painful, but this is fantasy. Our perceptions create fantasies. So thinking becomes a fantasy. Yeah. So that fantasy, we can live in that fantasy. And the fantasy, I'll say, is because we think that we wish that person didn't die, yeah, uh, and we think that we can't cope with the loss of that person. But what that puts us in touch with is the, the degree to which we become attached to that person's existence during the time of being with them. And the degree to which we've actually become like that person and that person has, in a sense, merged with us, has become part of our very own existence whilst they are with us. Yeah? We are affected by them. This is completely natural. Yeah? This is attachment in its natural form. Yeah? We become very, we, we become more like the person that we are close to. Yeah, as uh, and over long periods of time, it continues. This is not lo- This doesn't have to be losing yourself. But when we lose that person, what we're left with actually is we're left with the presence of that person, what they had become within ourselves, and we feel that in ourselves. That person is gone. They do not exist at all, at all. And regardless. Losing that person, we start thinking about things like um, reincarnation or he's gone to heaven and so on, and this causes us to disconnect from our loss. So these belief systems are incredibly harmful because they don't enable a person to honestly feel their loss and therefore heal from their loss. Now, very importantly with, with grieving, what is healing a loss of a person who's been very much a part of your life, a mother losing a child, a husband losing a wife or whatever, you know, brother losing a sister and so on? You're losing a part of yourself and that part of yourself has become obsolete and irrelevant now that that person through, that you relate to through that presence in yourself no longer exists so that person doesn't exist anymore and they don't actually so their existence remaining in you is not really you it's what you became in relationship with that person by feeling that grief that loss inside of yourself what happens is your identification with the, the feeling of that person in you which is how we identify with another person. They, they cause us to feel a certain way and that makes them important to us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So our, our identification with that person inside of us, within us, has to die now with the person because they don't exist anymore. Otherwise, we just continue to cause ourselves pain and suffering. 
Yeah. And so we are equipped, the human organism is equipped like any other animal on the planet. We feel grief. And when we feel that grief, we are actually coming to terms with, at a felt level, at a feeling sensorial level, not at an intellectual level, but at a deep feeling level, we are, in the way the body processes pain, we are coming to terms with the facts that we don't like outside of ourselves. We are coming to terms with and able to eventually accept those facts that that person no longer exists. Until we get over our feeling of that person existing inside of us, <laughs> yeah, as part of us, we will still pine for that person's presence. As we feel that, so we will find the feeling of that person gradually dissipates from ourselves. And what happens? We end up with nothing more than what we were before that person came into our life. Not meaning we don't remember them, yeah? Not meaning they haven't had some uh, good effect on us. But we, we do sort of getting attached to a person, we do sort of become, you know, very much like that person in certain ways. And when that finishes through the grieving process, then we find we're right back to what we were without that person. And the same goes for intimate relationships. When we break up from a relationship, a long-term relationship, if we don't grieve that loss, if we don't get over our anger and our resentment and so forth by feeling it, if we don't get over that, we'll take all that shit into the next relationship and impose that on the next person. So we're taking our baggage. What is our baggage? <laughs> that which we have not um, resolved from our last relationship. And it's not really right to put that on the next person. And we're not even taking ourselves into that next relationship. We're taking ourselves and our past partner into that relationship in a way within ourselves. So when we resolve that from ourselves, then I think and only then are we really ready um, to give ourselves 100% to the next person without comparing them with the last person, without wanting them to be a replacement of the last person. Yeah? And so in this way, the grieving process, the feeling process is absolutely crucial in our life if we are able, if we are to repeatedly get over our attachments and clean ourselves of something that has come to an end, therefore get over the pain of that and therefore find ourselves without pain of the loss of one person, therefore able to accept the fact of their loss and stop fantasizing about reincarnation and heavens and they're still around and they're floating and mum's still here in spirit. Stop all that fantasy, <laughs> which is just a projection of our yeah. unresolved pain. We won't even think of mum in spirit if, we, if the spirit of mum has been resolved from our own system in the mm. grieving process. We won't be wanting that anymore. We will be fully accepting of the endings in life. And this is so hard for people. People don't realise the importance of endings in life and what they really should be doing to go through those endings and actually end things instead of just getting more and more accumulation, more and more stuff internally and externally to the point that we're just a mess of many different people. We become like a party or, you know, like a gathering inside <laughs> That's a funny of way us. to put it. <laughs> yeah, and it's not a healthy party, yeah. We, we become, uh, we, we develop various personalities, various person, personality traits. We become in some ways schizophrenics, you know, and, and, and 
and we become very unstable as we gather more and more pain, gather and hold on to more and more pain. We need to be able to heal our pain, and it doesn't take long. This is not a lengthy process. Feeling grief is a very actually rapid process. Resisting grief and resisting the facts of a loss is the is the emotionalization of the feeling of grief and that is that is what prolongs it and doesn't enable you to feel that grief and feeling is something you can do whilst you still get on with your day-to-day life once you learn how to feel you can feel the loss and still operate in day-to-day life very effectively it's not that debilitating yeah, so so correct me if I'm wrong to sort of simplify. It's like feeling is the physical sensation in your body. Emotion is physical sensation plus story and thinking is just story. And thinking is just story. Yeah, so there's two forms of thinking, yeah, that is thinking that is your thinking. This is actually mm-hmm. important as we're on this topic because it completes the whole picture. Thinking that is your thinking originates as a sensation in your body, as a feeling or a sensation in your body. That sensational feeling is all about you. That sensational feeling is all the information you have in yourself about the world outside of you and about other people, yeah? So that feeling that you gather and hold inside of you is is a wealth of information. Now, that is the origin of our thinking. So sensation uh as sensation builds up inside of us as an, it becomes an expression it, we feel something and it becomes an expression of us yeah so in expressing that when i'm talking to you out of something that is an expression of me then you get the feeling of me coming with that yeah? and you you get also um from you know the other person will get some understanding oh this is how you will get to know me if i really know myself because i'm feeling myself it's not anything that difficult we all know ourselves we just we'll talk a bit about this later but we just pretend we don't just because we don't like what it is but we know <laughs> we damn well know yeah. we just can't come to terms with it and i'm helping people just come in to denial terms of it. it we're in denial of it which proves we know it which proves yes. we know it you can't deny something if you don't know it exists. So, yeah, but so we, we bloody well know. Yeah, there's no such thing as subconscious or unconscious, but I'll explain that as time goes on. It's just that we operate at different levels. What we mm-hmm. feel, what we only feel inside of ourselves, we call that, sorry, I'm diversing, we call that unconscious, but it's only unconscious as far as our cognitive thinking is concerned. It's not unconscious as far as, as, far as how it feels to be us is concerned in our body. Mm. So in that sense, I, I find you know, there's no way of being, you are, you are not an unconscious conscious being. You are, you are fully alive, but you just break yourself up into many bits and it's conveniently so you don't, so you don't hurt yourself so much because you hate yourself, you judge yourself. Yeah? So it's yeah. a self-protective mechanism. Back to what I was saying, the thinking that is mine is the thoughts that come of my own wealth of understanding, which is which is digested and which is a part of me and an expression of me. So originally, why do we talk? Why do we think and talk? Is to express ourselves, is to communicate ourselves to another person. Yeah. Now, when I'm communicating myself to another person, it has to be thoughts that originate in my own sensations, in my own body. Yeah? These are my thoughts. These are about me. That which I have in, 
imbibed in myself, that which is really part of me originally becomes an, an original expression of me. Yep. Now, that which I've been told about myself and taught becomes first a reaction to me, a way in which I've learned to think about myself uh, and belief systems and so forth. This outside in is a reaction to certain things in me. I'm taught to react to feelings of me. I'm taught to think of myself as not good enough. I'm taught to think of myself as um, needing to improve. Yeah. So if I need to improve, there must be something wrong. So fundamentally, rather than just being the fullness of me coming into expression, whether it be anger, sadness, grief, happiness, whatever it is, but it's coming into expression without reaction, therefore it's harmless. I'm angry, but I'm not going to attack you with that anger, anger unless I'm, I've suppressed that anger, denied that anger, and I've judged that anger as bad. But if I can let myself feel that anger, it's a relief to feel it. And it's also informing me of something perhaps in my world that's happening to me that I should be angry about, yeah? It doesn't mean yeah. I should then hurt someone else. So, But I have to be able to feel before thinking. If I'm not feeling before thinking and it just goes straight into thinking, then this is a problem. And this tends to be because thoughts that we've learned from others don't come from our own feelings, from our own physical existence. They come from the outside, their influences. They tell us about ourselves and they become the thoughts that are not expressions of ourselves uh, and they are not communications of ourselves into the world with other people and between one another because you, you can do the same thing back to me. Yeah, you yeah. can express yourself in a healthy way and we can have a really resolving type of conflict if we're expressing ourselves, not attacking each other. Whereas yeah. rea reaction is attacking myself. I'm complaining about myself. And I, my reactionary thoughts complain primarily about how I feel and secondly about whatever made me feel that way or whatever I have presumed has made me feel that way. Yeah? yeah. So whatever's triggered me, in other words. <laughs> so <laughs> reactionary thinking is harmful and reactionary thinking is what makes us suffer everything else, suffer everything in the world. Yeah, even physical pain. We have, you look at an animal that gets, gets hurt in a fight. How do they lay there and just get over it? How come they're not suffering tremendously? I, I can't prove this because, well, I know how I operate as an animal, so I suppose I can, in a way, associate with this. As an animal, if I'm not thinking about my pain, I find it's very, um, it's something that I can bear. It's something that I can process from its worst feelings through to its healing, yeah, and eventually yeah. it heals. So it is something I can cope with quite well. But when I start reacting to it, when I get frightened of it, when I start freaking out, when I, I'm mentally reacting, this reaction causes me causes a suffering of that condition in me, whether it's a mild condition like distrust although that can be quite disturbing, or a broken leg you know, or a burning cancer, whatever it has, happens to be, uh, or a sickness or feeling nauseous or you know, and to whatever extent that goes to, if I can feel that in my body, I'm fully connected. I am immersed in it. But if I'm reacting to it, I'm on the outside of it trying not to be drawn into it and I'm fighting it. And that fight is based on fear of it, opinions about it, judgment of it. And that is reactionary thinking that keeps us, once removed, 
from ourselves. Those thoughts are not our own. Those thoughts are what we have been taught to think about the world and ourselves, whereas the thoughts that emerge from within our body initially are, are our own thoughts. This is an expression of me. This has come from me. So I hope people see the difference. Reactionary thinking is you know, what prolongs all feelings um, uh, beyond uh, our abilities and exaggerates all feelings, all sensations, all experiences beyond our natural ability to cope with those. And so we overwhelm ourselves with overthinking. And when there's pain inside of ourselves and we're reacting, we then, through our thinking, we look for an escape. Okay? We look for mm-hmm. a meditation technique. We look for a drug. We look for psychedelics. We look for belief systems. Another addiction is we look for knowledge. The intellectual looks for knowledge, but that knowledge not being about themselves never satisfies them. At a real, I can so relate event. to that statement. <laughs> Can't you? Yeah, the intellectual is yeah. per, per se, always looking for more and more knowledge. Give me more and more knowledge because the knowledge and the, the way in which they're getting their knowledge is from the outside. It's not about them. It's not from them. It's not relatable. So I don't disagree with all the intellectual or scientific or or theoretical things out there. They just don't mean anything to me. They're not relevant to me. They're unrelatable. They're just unnecessary, yeah? Mm -hmm. So we can get addictions happening this way, and this too is a reaction (laughs) without realising it. We get so intoxicated with our, our study that we maintain a disconnect from our body, yeah? Like when we're on the computer, we remain a disconnect. So the information era that we're in, information, this information is planned obsolescence, yeah? It won't last for very long. The buzz will only last for a moment because you're in the intoxication of how clever I am I understand to understand this and how much less fear I feel now that I won't be judged for being stupid and not understanding or not knowing it, yeah? And so it gives us a temporary relief from our fear which is an intoxication. But because that information on the internet and so forth is all propaganda and all influence anyway, most most of it, yeah, is influence and propaganda, although we're using internet today, you know, but you don't know that I'm not full of prop, you know. People listening, I don't want you to believe me. I want you to find this out for yourself and I'm just giving you a way to find this out for yourself. Yeah, don't just believe me. Don't just sit here and be entertained intellectually. That's just a cop out. Yeah. You you, you yeah. need to do you need to do this for yourself. But but our information here is give me more and more feed. This is just a drug and it keeps you completely disconnected from the pain of um, emptiness inside of you that none of this knowledge, none of this information is satisfying. It's not giving you the information you need. When you get the information you need, when you get the information that as a living organism you need, you feel the effects and the satisfaction of that and your thinking comes to an end. It, it comes again, but in that moment you stop searching, you stop thinking and you just are able to be fulfilled in the sensory, physical experience of having a need finally met. I love that. I love that. And I think as well too, like one of the things that is 
with that intellectual, academic, mentally driven society that we're in is that, you know, we've got people that are, it's, you know, and it's often referred to as mental masturbation. You know, you just keep, you keep going on the information collection and information input and wonder why the problem itself doesn't actually change because yeah, yeah, we're so focused on, yeah, on just the the data, the science and that's that's the world we're in. It's all, all this mental stimulation, but very little feeling and physical action and moving the body through time and space to change. Um, And I think that is really where like, your, you, the rubber hits the road with your stuff because it's it trying to get us out of our head. Um, and Definitely. so I guess for for everybody listening, like where can they find you online? Because every time you speak, I want to talk about 37 different ideas. Okay. And so so no just so we can point... Yeah. yeah, so just so we can point people in the right direction to start practicing the actual feeling um, and getting back into their bodies because I, I really... I really feel very connected to your ideas and so, um, and, and your content and your app. So where can they find the undo app? Where can they get more of you? Where are all the things on the internet that they can get involved in your work? Okay. Thank you. So just, just one, I won't go too far, but just one point. We're looking for the answer. We're looking for the solution outside of the problem of our distress and pain. The solution is not, outside the problem as einstein also said once i understand is that you know we create this we create a problem but the solution to that problem is not is not going to come about through the same way we can't approach the problem and the solution the same way yeah so the problem is we think and we overthink and we think in the wrong way yeah now the, the more thinking is not going to solve the problem Okay, it's not more uh, more knowledge is not going to solve the problem. The the problem and the solution are in different places. The problem is in the thinking and in the overthinking and in the knowledge, in the information. But the solution, because it disconnects us from our our sadness, our feeling, our humanity. The solution is in the problem itself. Is what you currently see as the problem. What you currently see as the problem is the condition you're in. The solution is going into the feeling of that. So the problem is caused by thinking is not resolved by thinking. It's resolved by feeling, because it's the feeling of distress in you that drives that thinking. That's what keeps fueling that thinking. Your pain keeps fueling that search. Don't search. Come back to the end of the search in what's driving that search which is the feeling of emptiness, the feeling of pain, whatever it may be. So the solution is in what you're currently seeing as a problem. And as you come into contact with that feeling, you will discover what you thought was a problem is your solution. So where are you I going like to... I like it. Yeah, I thought you'd like that. Just to clarify that last point you brought up. Um, so the, the undoapp.com is... Uh, online and uh, app stores on app stores and Android and um, the other Apple. one. <laughs> Apple, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Apple, ooh, <laughs> Apple and, and the king. Uh, so a- Apple and Android. Um, and now uh, that you'll get by going to undoapp.com. So undoapp.com. That will get you the app. Um, and I charge for the app, but the first part of it is a couple of free parts to it, but then it's a it's a course really, and it's a really in-depth course. And if you really want to get deep 
in your meditation in a very, very simple and direct way, in a way that actually will make a difference, not just take you on a searching journey, but will make a difference. Um, this is working. I've, you know, I've done a lot of tests with people, testing how they're going and it's working. It's doing exactly what I want to do. The main thing is too is it's helping people to accept themselves in every way that they are. And that is really important, not in an idealistic way, but they're starting to see the truth in the fact that the way they are is the way they need to be and they're starting to really appreciate that by doing the app. And that is that is the main thing I wanted to do because people are hurting because of the way they think about themselves and it's wrong. Now, the next one is, which I haven't talked about at all today, is I do is meditation retreats that I run. Um, and these, if you really, uh, especially with, you really want to get the real depth and also work with me face-to-face over a long period of time. You can do them between seven days and 21 days. Um, so they're really serious meditation retreats, but um, they're not difficult uh, in the sense of the meditation itself because this is a very direct approach to the meditation in the body. It's not difficult. But the only thing that's difficult is the same thing that's difficult in your life today and that is you continue to feel the disturbances within your system that you are yet to resolve, but at least on retreat you get to resolve them for yourself by feeling them. And that is, and I have a website for that which tells you all about those. Um, quiet retreats is one word, .co. So Q-U-I-E-T-R-E-T-R-E-A-T-S dot C-O. And the last one, I think, is a little website called Matt Zoltan. It's one word, M-A-T-T-Z-O-L-T-A-N dot com, C-O-M, M for Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and if you don't, you're not familiar with that name, then you're not listening. <laughs> <laughs> you, you got to, that's that's my younger self. <laughs> and, and, um, this is future me. <laughs> it's like I don't know. I saw when I first saw Matt. I went, "Oh my god, that used to be the color of my hair." And I used to be a bit like that. So that coloring and everything. That's literally the first thing you said when we we first met. You were like, "Oh my god." <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. I'm looking back at myself. What's going on here? <laughs> I was like, well, this is what you've got to look forward to, Matt. <laughs> well, I think you are just a fantastic human, so I'm very happy that this oh. is what I've got to look forward to. <laughs> um, I was going to say all those links you shared, um, I'm going to put them in the show notes below um, so that everybody's got access to them and they can click oh. on them, and I encourage everyone to do that. Um, yep. And just to, you were just going to add one thing there? Yeah, one thing was, and we are looking for an investor. So if anybody resonates with what we're doing, Preferably, we're looking for an investor who who also has skills in the app industry or in the industry that we we can call on. Um, but uh, money you know, it's a very expensive thing to build and run an app, and um, we're going to keep doing it. You'd be surprised what it costs to build and run an app, a, a good one, a good quality one. Yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah, yeah. So this would be, um, and we're just on the verge of. Uh, getting very popular now. It's not. It's only really launching in the last, you know, properly in the last uh, twelve months. Got it really, really looking nice and working well. Um, and our team is really good. Uh, there's a team of eight of us that are really working as a group of people involved in this approach to life 
you would expect would work together. So it's a really nice team, and I love that. Yeah. Um, and what was the other thing? Oh, yes, of course, Facebook, Instagram, there's reels, there's all that stuff happening on the internet um, <laughs> of little talks from me uh, and, you know, little all, you know, all sorts of things. But if you start with the app, the reason I'm encouraging that is because that is something you can begin to do, not just read about, not just listen to, but you can do that for yourself. And you need to do something. You need to act. You need action, not just ideas. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I think that's fantastic. And yeah. and I personally have done, jumped on the app. I've listened to a bunch of the stuff. I've done the sadness one a few times. I've done grief. I've done anger. Um, and it's still a lot of the app I need to explore. But yeah, I would definitely back this and recommend it to people listening and really support your work. And, and I, it really resonates with me. And it, it actually really does feel like it's finally something that actually moves the needle rather than fills my head with romantic ideas about places I'll never arrive um, without, you know, maybe being a monk for 40 years or something like that. So, yeah, I really, really love the work that you're doing. And I thank you for sharing your time with us here today. That's my pleasure, as you can see, you know, and we need this help, you know, and and also, yeah, it's really good that you put the time into looking into the work a bit and, you know, the way we've connected together. I can even feel... This time, since the last time I spoke to you, I can feel how much more uh, understanding there is between us. You know, the, the, you, you, yeah. it, it takes a bit to get this. You know, but as you said before, this is not this is not a journey to a, to, to to an end result. You mm. the, the the thing the hardest thing is to break down that it, that it, that delusion of enlightenment that it's something you reach. No, no, it's just something you face up to. It's it, it's what you already are. And what makes it hard to face up to everything that you are is judgment and criticism and wrong thinking, reactionary thinking. It's, it, it's easy to face up to that when you start to see that everything that you are is exactly as you should be. Uh, and living with that and working with that on a day-by-day basis can be really difficult if you've got really difficult problems. But you will find that that is, that is where you will come into true connection reconnection with yourself as a body in the body um, and really understand yourself from the inside out and that requires your ability to physically feel to really feel you'd be surprised how disconnected we've become from feeling it's the most difficult thing and yet it's happening all the time and as soon as it happens we react to it we bounce off it and we run away from it next time just stay with the feeling in your body, where it happens to be, and as long as you're with that feeling, be sure you can be sure that that feeling is actually in a process. As soon as you start feeling it, you're starting to decrease the intensity and the, and the misery of that feeling just by feeling it. And honestly, I'll, I'll make a glance, a really big statement. There is absolutely no other way. Feelings are not meant to be thought about. They are meant to be felt. Amazing. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah, I yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it and I just want to keep talking to you, but obviously we've got, we got to stop. you know people who've got people who've got lives and stuff like that. But to to just to just wrap up finally with a final thought, um of everything oh. that we've talked about today or everything that you've learned on your entire journey, what is one piece of health information that you think people need to know about that's not common knowledge? There is no such thing as good health or bad health. You only come up with that idea in comparison with other people. But we are all in the condition we're in 
as an expression of what we are yet to resolve within ourselves once we learn how. The condition you're in is therefore a reason. It is not bad health. It is not good health, even your mental health. Once you go deeper into the feelings behind that, you will discover why you've had this confusion of thought or feelings, and you will have empathy for yourself whilst before you just had anger at yourself and criticism of yourself. The same with your physical body conditions, your physical purely mechanical conditions. These are there to guide you, keep you from going to extremes, yeah? If you feel a bit of pain or a bit of a problem somewhere, using the app, you will learn what that really is about and how that is actually your body, uh, the intelligence in your body keeping a balance. So pain and illness, our health, is not our enemy. It is a perfectly natural process. It's become a problem because we've made it a problem by exaggerating it, by reacting to it, and all the therapies we've created in the world, or most of them, I should say, are about getting rid of these conditions rather than uh, in integrating these conditions in our life. So that about health. And the other thing is that when we come back to, once you learn to feel again, you then are in touch with the sensations of your body. And they change all the time. And part of the reason they change all the time is because they are a constant off-gassing or releasing of distresses that build up in the body. Once you're living at that level of actually in, in, in touch with the sensations or inside the sensations of your own body, all of these sensations that are going on are catching the distress or the stress at its very first point rather than letting it increase until it becomes such a problem that we get sick or in massive pain or have accidents, yeah? So when you're feeling the sensations at that level, you are constantly keeping yourself uh, in good health or at first you may be getting yourself into good health because you've got to catch up. But once you catch up, um, you'll find feeling the sensations in your body is the second thing that I think is most important. I made two things, sorry, but they are related. So you've got to learn to feel again. Get out of your, get out of just being in your thinking and pay attention to feeling. And uh, this is, feeling is how we activate two things, the healing process and the information process that comes out of our body. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, for your time, for your energy. Um, and I know everybody's brains are melting right now. They'll probably have to listen to this a couple of times. Um, so thank you so much. And, yeah, we'll, we'll organize something again soon because there's so much gold we've got to dig out. <laughs> oh, good. I'd love to do this again with you. That would be great. It's really fun. Yeah. It's so fun. It's thank, so you. Fun. thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Maddie. All right. Well, no worries. We'll catch you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. See ya. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use, and we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next episode.
Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.